0: Hello and welcome back to the My Entertainment World podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Bedard, and today we are reporting live from the Toronto Screenwriting Conference, which is happening at the TIFF Lightbox uh, this weekend, which is June 23rd and 24th. We'll probably release these episodes a little bit after that. Um, so what you're about to hear is an interview that I did Sitting down with one of the keynote speakers of the Toronto Screenwriting Conference, Chip Johansson, who is one of the writers on Homeland. He has an extensive uh, resume working in television writing, dating all the way back to getting a start on 90210. Um, so enjoy the interview, and I'll see you on the other side. Thanks for tuning in, guys.
1: I kind of came to it as a failed guitarist. My rock band had broken up in New York. We'd just been offered a record contract, and our Lead singer decided that pop music was evil and (laughs) she left for England the next day. So I was kind of a little bit at a loss about what to do. And I ended up, my wife to be was living in San Francisco. Her band had just fallen apart. My band had just fallen apart in New York. So we went to LA with no real plan, honestly. It was just a, neither of us had basically been there and we thought it might be a good next place to live and all the people I knew from school I was on this thing called the Harvard Lampoon so everybody was writing TV which would never have occurred to me in a million years to write TV except that just everybody else was doing it and so I started um, doing what you did in those days which is you write some spec scripts and I got an assignment actually first on something called Married with Children which was a half-hour comedy it was a thing where there was a dog in the show and he became uh, it turned out he was a valuable stud dog but then he had sexual performance problems like his master so that was the <laughs> episode that they bought and then i qu- pretty quickly realized i wanted to go into one hour and um, went from there
0: um so the lampoon is famous for uh, fostering connections between tv people was there a particular person who like <laughs> ushered you into the landscape from the lampoon
1: there was somebody who Nobody was doing hour, everybody was doing half hour, so in that sense it was not that useful, but the half hour episode I got was because a friend of mine, Kevin Curran, who died recently, was just really generous and he made that thing, I came in with a pitch and then he made it all work.
0: Um, You mentioned that you didn't think of TV as a thing you thought of going into, um, but was there a show that was formative for you when you were a kid or when you were a young adult?
1: We didn't really watch TV, and in fact, even like decades later, I'd be uh, pitching something at Fox, and they would go like, you don't watch much TV, do you? (laughs) Because it was always somehow off. It it didn't seem right. But um, once I got into it and the idea that I was going to have to uh, know something about TV, there were things I liked. So my first staff job was on 90210. Everybody was watching 30 something. So I had to go back and watch, which was not easy in those days because it's not like everything was on demand. I had to go to like this little museum that had tapes and you'd sit and watch them. And I realized there's this guy named Joe Doherty who wrote all the best episodes. And so he was kind of inspiring to me. Um, On the the other show that a friend of mine who I've worked with over the years was on was uh, NYPD Blue, which was kind of the first show for me where I just wished it would go on longer. I really, really loved the f- first season of that. I kind of just watched the first season, but I just thought it was absolutely amazing. And it had a kind of reality principle to it. Like this is the way they really talk. This is the way they really do stuff that, that was extraordinary. And that I think had a big impression because that's kind of my obsession today.
0: Um, well, speaking of, you started with 90210, and then you did a bunch of different genres over the course of your entire career. Um, is there a sort of style or world that really uh, suits your personality or your perspective the best?
1: Well, I don't... I have no particular interest in sci-fi stuff. I like it when I watch it, but I, it's not my specialty, but I kind of ended up in that a little bit because of uh, working on Millennium, that was the first show I, I ran, and... Its, its sister show was the much more popular X-Files. I was in that space and this kind of slightly speculative fiction um, I've done a lot of work in. I like that but I don't have I don't know the genre that well quite honestly.
0: Mm-hmm. Well and the job of showrunner has is so much broader than just writing for television. You're also sort of running the business of the show. Can you tell us a little bit about making that transition to that role?
1: Well You know, first of all, on Homeland, I'm not running that. Alex Gonza is. So I get kind of the pleasure of doing a a huge amount of the heavy lifting in terms of the story stuff goes and that I don't have to deal with some of that stuff. But uh, Millennium I ran. I ran Dexter for a while. And um, I know there are these training programs. It's kind of like anything else. You just jump into it. And you've sort of seen somebody do it before, but you really don't know what all is going to happen. What you really don't understand is how many more people are going to be calling you with issues (laughs) how many more calls you're going to be getting from the actors how many more calls you're going to be getting from publicity how many more calls you're going to be getting from business affairs who are constantly furious about the overages all these things so there's you know an additional five hours added to your day every day day in and day out so it's a kind of grueling thing they really expect you to kill you so like millennium i ended up having to get an apartment right next to the fox lot just because one night driving back at 1 in the morning, I nearly crashed and I realized I was going to like die at this <laughs> if I didn't do something about it. On the other hand, what you get for that is that you're the last word on what's going to happen. So that's much better.
0: Okay. <laughs> it, um. So tell us a little bit about Homeland and how you got involved with that project.
1: Well, I just... Um, for my midlife crisis, I actually went to law school. Like you're supposed to do hookers and blow but i did like i went to law school and i i would nearly gone when i was young and then i played in this rock band instead so i'd, I'd actually turned down a an acceptance at harvard law school and done this rock band which then fell apart and so i washed up in in la um i was pretty frustrated what after i'd done tv for about 12 years or so i just didn't enjoy it and I, we, we'd We'd spent a year in Rome making TV for ABC. And I just thought, if I can't have fun doing TV in Rome, I've got to do something else. So I, I came back and just stepped off the plane into law school. And my plan was really to never do TV again, just to um, do pro bono law. Like, not, I didn't really have a, the financial side of it worked out that clearly, but that was the idea. And uh, but then I kind of lost my nerve a little honestly and I went back to doing TV. So I did, a, I did a pilot for Sony along the way that became a miniseries called Saints and Strangers. And um, I, by the end of law school, I was actually going f- full time to law school and working full time back on 24. I'd been there when it started and then I was there for the last couple uh, seasons. After 24, I went to Dexter and ran that for a year which was like not a happy experience So as that was kind of crashing, um, Homeland was starting, and they came and asked if I would be on it, and I've ended up doing all, I guess there are two of us that have been there from the beginning now.
0: What was it that was not happy about Dexter?
1: Um, Well, I came into it after... For fifth season, I guess, and I inherited a writing stash. I, staff I ended up not being that happy with, and um, it's all it's all kind of personalities. I think creatively we had a good season. It was certainly the last one that was nominated for awards and things, um, but it just wasn't a good situation. <laughs> I mean, it it Michael was fantastic you know the actor michael c hall he's like a charming guy but there were a lot of there were a lot of things going on there that i wasn't told about before i came into and i i probably didn't handle them that well but
0: um so then what is it that worked about the homeland the chemistry of the homeland group
1: well i mean i'm going to talk about this a little tomorrow a few of us have worked a long time together on it we have a very similar way of looking at storytelling and about writing and it's developed over decades honestly and so it made it a pretty easy room for us to try to figure out where this thing might go the other thing is we had this very peculiar room first year everybody had been a showrunner at least you know multiple times honestly so it was this very like sleaze or a seasoned it was this very seasoned uh... room and it meant that people had a kind of sophistication about what was really going on with a story, how much story was required, where this could lead, whether it was interesting, and it just worked really, really well. We've we stuck with that for a long time, you know, where we had really just senior people for the last for the first time last year we brought in a staff writer. Um, but really, it runs on these, you know. Very seasoned staff so in that sense it's like um, it's also I think less gimmicky in a way than a lot of stuff that is where everybody's a little bit old school and comfortable with that we're not trying to artificially um, jazz things up or go to places that we don't believe because of whatever we don't have uh, the studio has been amazingly supportive really from the beginning and uh, creatively especially and it's just been a good situation I
0: um, mean it's a show that's really evolved and gone through these uh, really big changes over the course of its run. Um, can you tell us a little bit about navigating that evolution?
1: Well I mean we were originally going to kill Brody off at the end of season one, even when we saw that that was something that was working as a as a uh, emotional center for the thing and and they basically said you can't do that and it was clear that we could go into a second season and do this um, we were going to kill him off at the end of season 2 then <laughs> and basically the deal came down which was that from the from the network which was that if you keep him if you play him forward into season 3 we'll renew it for two two, for two seasons now you know so the studio said that's what we're going to do so he's going to be alive for another so we had we had more problems with him third year but it was um, it got protracted maybe a little more than it should be but it turned out to be a big thing after he was gone like how do you reinvent this and what do you find and it was very clear from the beginning even that was that it was her show I mean she was always number one on the call list it was her show and we just kind of embraced that and and so there's always something to do and the other thing is that we go to um, in terms of actually finding where our story might lie for a particular season we go to Washington DC for about a week at the beginning of each year and usually we have a sense of where we want to set it before we go there but we listen a lot to what's going on in the world, what's interesting in the world, and we're not trying to chase that, but we're trying to like, find something that's topical in a way that um, we can use as a kind of ballpark to find a story. It's funny, this is like one, because, you know, because of the fact that everything is Marvel now, everything is dystopia, everything is whatever, we are one of the very few shows now that talks about what the world is like today, and it was always about something from the beginning. You could tell this was a show that was about something, but now it's very much about the world we're living in today. It's very clear, and that makes it not quite unique, but sort of rare.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and it is about the world in which we live today, but it started in 2011, which was a very different world in a lot of ways. Um, can you tell us a little bit about navigating the political climate as it shifts in the real world, and then reflecting that in the show?
1: Yeah, I mean that gets that gets to this trip we make to Washington D.C. That is, we are not trying to chase headlines. We're not trying to be prescient about um, what's about to happen. We're we're. If you go to Washington, you go like, oh, I'm going to do something about Donald Trump and make it cooler than that, you're not going to do that. So it's just a, you do not want to get into that game, and we've never wanted to be in that game. On the other hand, we want to have something that could, could happen, you know, that could be real. Um, and so we haven't really had the problem of navigating changes in administration. The, the sort of ebb and flow of things that we deal with is happening on a little longer time scale. That is, we're not trying to figure out what's going to happen next week. We're just kind of going, like, compared to 10 years ago, what's going on now.
0: Right. And have you felt that uh, fan reactions to the show shift at all as the political climate gets maybe a little bit tenser?
1: I think we benefited from that this last year. I think people were looking for places to go where they would find... Um, some rationality, some, something tr- halfway truthful, some kind of honest debate, and I think people were grateful for Homeland when it came back because it was it's definitely in that... It tries to be in that realm. Mm-hmm.
0: When you mentioned Claire Danes and how from the very beginning it was clear that it was her show, um, she's a, an executive producer on the show as well. Can you tell us a little bit about working with her and how that collaboration works and how it's affected the show?
1: Claire is the opposite of an intrusive producer. I mean, she's really, um, she's concerned about where it's set, obviously, because she'll have to be there. (laughs) And um, she's very concerned about storylines in the show, and especially her own, that they be interesting and that they make sense and that they be something she can get behind, because she's going to have to play things that are, honestly, I don't know how she does it half the time. She's so extraordinary that she can take all these different things and somehow make them work in a scene. But she's not... uh, You know, none of the other other producers are involved in writing, per se. Um, Our producing director and our line producer and some of the actors are not involved in, you know, formulating storylines that way. Where you will hear from her, if there's something that she doesn't like, she'll sometimes have an interesting suggestion about what to do instead. So, like, um, and you obviously have to listen carefully to her, not just because she's going to have to do it, but because she's smart about you know what where her character would go um
0: and the season eight is planned to be the last for homeland will it be difficult to say goodbye to the show
1: well it's it's not utterly clear that it will be the last one. Oh, really so, I um, she said that um no i know she said on howard stern the plan was for it to be the last show the last season um and everybody's planning for that internally we're we're thinking about that in terms of story but it's not it's not certain there's rumblings at showtime and so it's always conceivable it could go on I mean for us we thought like oh it'll definitely be five seasons and that's how (laughs) long we'll be here and it's it's turned into a little more so we'll we'll wait and see what happens
0: right and the mental health on the show has always been such an important part of uh, Claire's storyline um, can you tell us a little bit about the research that goes into navigating that and representing it faithfully?
1: Well, first of all, I would say that we do a lot of research just generally. I mean, there's another thing I'm going to talk about tomorrow, which is uh, because we really, we go through huge, we spend a lot of time and a lot of money, honestly, to try to get things right. So we have consultants for every facet of this thing. You know, so we have military consultants, we have national security consultants, we have lots of mental health consultants. Honestly especially in the early seasons as we were trying to uh, get our hands around this and learn how to depict it properly. you know, People would make trips to Princeton, which for some reason was the mental health disorder capital of the world, and talk to uh, professors and writers and stuff about what it meant to be bipolar. Um, we spend a lot of time trying to get that right. The other thing in, on the mental health thing that we benefited from the first couple of years was Meredith Steam, whose sister was very much the model for a particular specific type of breakdown that Carrie had in that first year. The issue for us is that we can't, we don't want. That's that's not the constant uh, state of somebody who's bipolar. Like they get very depressed, they get very up, uh, which they often like, and then how do you manage that, and how do you work that into stories in a way that's not repetitive? I mean, David Shore was saying that they have to, with uh, Hugh Laurie in House, they would always be like, well, what crazy thing is he gonna do next? And we're a little bit the same thing. Each season, we have to deal with that, and it's about finding a new way to deal with it. So this last season, we did this thing where her, uh, her meds were no longer effective. And so she was going to self-medicate because she had such urgent work she had to do. And it, it broke down pretty pretty badly.
0: Um, so we're here for the Toronto Screenwriting uh, Conference. And I'm sure you're asked for tips all the time. What is your go-to advice for young writers?
1: Well, I'm going to do this thing on Sunday, which is like all that I know that answers <laughs> that. But it takes it takes a little too long for right now. But um you know listening to David just now I was reminded of I felt like I was hearing a lawyer talking as much as I was hearing a writer talking in particular this business of giving characters believable points of view that they are committed to and it's like you're an advocate in a certain way when you're a character so that kind of training or that kind of thinking And I realized because I went to law school partway, you know, as my midlife crisis, I came out of that a much better writer because I no longer had this sense of right and wrong. It's really just advocacy. It's just people have their point of view about something, and I'm trying to force that on the world in a certain way. So I think that's kind of great training for it. At least it's a great way to think about characters and and get all the judgment out of it just completely. The other thing that like worked for me, because I never had any training in this, was uh, doing acting classes. So I never got to be like a good actor. I got my SAG card uh, on like a Roger Corman movie, but I never really got that good at it. But you, you do a lot of scenes that are great scenes, and so you kind of internalize how that works. And the other thing that you become aware of if you do acting is that you understand the physicality of things. Not just that people are going to have to say these lines you're writing, but that there's a whole physical life associated with it that has to support what you're trying to do and also has to work. You know, you can't just be jumping people around a big space. You have to be attuned to the physical reality that you're dealing with. And those. that has been like, I think about that all the time. I just think about that all the time. Part of it is because I came through things like X-Files and 24, but I just think about physical life so much more than what anybody's saying or thinking or anything else it's all about physical life to me okay
0: great thank you so much so that's it for today thank you so much for tuning in uh, make sure that you rate and review on itunes make sure you subscribe follow us on twitter and instagram at my that's my E N D world and check out everything we have happening on the website that's my entertainmentworld.ca. thanks guys